0: Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is with the USGA's Senior Managing Director of Governance, Thomas Pagel. You're probably wondering who Thomas Pagel is. You probably remember him from uh, rules and rulings and such, and US Opens have past. Uh, Thomas also runs the Distance Insights Project at the USGA, and with last week's big announcement we wanted to have a bond to talk about it's near and long-term implications on golf. For those of you that might not know what distance insights uh, project is, it, it centers around the golf ball equipment and where the game's going and whether or not the current regulation on different aspects of equipment needs to be recalibrated. So obviously a major implications in terms of what professional golf might look like, and even what uh, golf at the local level might look like. Uh, I really appreciate Thomas coming on to talk. Uh, I know he's a busy guy, and obviously had a lot of things going on last week. So we were glad we could get this uh, get him on this week and to discuss the ins and outs of the report, uh, the next steps, and just the different layers of the project and Kind of addressing all aspects of it so without further ado here is thomas pagel
1: i miss a green for example i'm already upset when i find my ball in the bunker i'm really upset and when i find my ball in a fried egg fried egg the dreaded fried egg 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 lie i'm
0: about ready to run off the golf course Get right into it. Uh, you, uh, your team obviously made a huge announcement last week. What do golf fans in general need to know about last week's announcement?
1: Yeah, last week's announcement was really picking up where we left things off uh, in in late uh, February of 2020. So you'll recall, February 2020, we released released the Distance Insights report, uh, which was our you know comprehensive study with our partners at the RNA, talking about distance, looking at the history of distance, understanding trends. What it might mean for the future of the game and ultimately we concluded that we think the cycle of increased hitting length increased course course lengthening is not good for the game and that we need to you know it has to come to an end Uh, in that document we endeavored to uh, release what we call an area of interest to the equipment manufacturers talking about the areas we want to study Uh, we were scheduled to release that the monday or tuesday after the players championship Uh, as you can recall thursday evening in ponte vedra uh, everything shut down, and, and the golf world cl- uh, followed closely thereafter. So we made the decision uh, to go ahead and hold on releasing the area of interest, knowing that the equipment manufacturers were going to have to deal with, uh, the entire industry, frankly, was going to have to deal with so much related to the pandemic. And it wasn't the right time to engage and continue into an engineering or scientific discussion around, you know, attributes of a golf ball or a club head, right? So yeah. we put everything on pause for 20, and then as we came into this year, uh, obviously golf, uh, is in a good place, had a strong year, uh, even with the pandemic, manufacturers are still having issues, right? Like, let's be clear. I know I talk to them, I hear of supply chain issues, all sorts of things. However, we felt the time was appropriate to reengage on the topic of distance to really kick things off because this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of a long journey. So, uh, last week we released the area of interest, which has, you know, the six categories or six general categories of research that we're interested in undertaking over the course of the next year. Uh, and then we also released what we call a, a notice of proposed rule changes to equipment manufacturers, which is really outside of distance insights, but it highlighted uh, a few equipment changes that we're proposing here in the near term.
0: With those, uh, that year kind of break, I imagine you were watching golf. Did, anything, did any of the areas of interest change? Did emphasis on anything change? Or did any rule, these rules that you're looking to implement come about because of the last year?
1: You know, we, we so while our public facing side of things certainly was on pause last year, our team, our equipment standards team, which are, you know, brilliant scientists and engineers continued on with a lot of their research and their day to day operations uh, with testing clubs and, and, and evaluating our testing standards and everything else we look at as a team. Uh, and so, from a, from the area of interest, the six categories that didn't really expand. In fact, mm-hmm. the document that was released last week is largely the document that was going to be released in March of 2020. We made a couple edits to date, so it was more timely. But outside of that, it was really consistent. Uh, when we look at the the notice uh, for proposed changes, um, you know, we did have the benefit of the, of the last year to to look at our testing standards. And so, when we look at you know testing a, a golf ball uh, in an optimized fashion. Uh, we had the ability to evaluate over the last year and make a determination that it was right to propose a change to that standard. Same thing with uh, the the CT tolerance, right? The characteristic time. So measuring the time that a golf ball makes impact with a club face. So essentially you're measuring trampoline effect uh, that has carried a historical tolerance of 18 microseconds, not to get into the nerd weeds. Um, but manufacturers are so good with their capabilities and our testing capabilities, frankly, have become so much better that that 18 microsecond tolerance is no longer necessary, right? We can take it down to six. Manufacturers can comfortably produce within a six microsecond tolerance. We can test within that tolerance. And so we felt that that was appropriate. But, you know, a lot of people say, well, you're not taking distance away with that. We get it. Like, look, measuring 18 microseconds, you're talking a yard, maybe? Uh, These changes are not about reducing distances. It's about modernizing our standards. Um, And it's frankly part of the day-to-day responsibility that we have. Uh, in serving that role of of testing equipment for the game. You know, and then the the last proposed change, Andy, that I know a lot of folks have talked about is the the shaft length and the reduction in shaft length by model local rule from 48 inches to 46 inches. Uh, This is something we've talked about for a while, right? We've we've been looking at this since 2014. So, you know, as Bryson's, you know, winning at the amateur level before anybody, before it became really a household name, we were looking at shaft length. So this is not a reaction to what we saw in the last year. Uh, However, um, you know, given the history of that, and we nearly proposed a rule change in 2018, we thought the time was right to to issue the model local rule now. um, Because look, as more and more players begin to experiment at all levels of the game, it only makes change that much harder in the future. And so as we look out to the future, if we think 46 inches is the right number, um, we we just thought it was best to go ahead and issue that now as opposed to waiting for rule changes down the line, because, you know, I, I sort of, liking it to anchoring, Um, you know, a a long history of allowing players to anchor the club. And then the change became hard. We didn't want to experience that again.
0: Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense It's getting in a way out in front of it before, you know, obviously two years ago, 2018, nobody was really talking about using a 47, 48 inch driver. And now all of a sudden you started to see not just Bryson, you know, dozens of, of pros I know, at least experiment, we're playing around with it at their hope course. And, you know, player, you, so that makes sense. Uh, from with the six areas of interest, could you just outline those areas for, for the audience that may not have dove in and read the entire report? What those are, and in kind of layman's terms, what they mean?
1: Yeah, and the good news is, I'm not an engineer, so this <laughs> okay. will all come across in layman's terms. Uh, right, so, so the general areas, we talk about, you know, uh, reduction of limit within the overall distance standard. And so right now we have a standard of 317 yards plus a tolerance of, of three yards to measure both the carry, but then also the, the bounce and roll of a golf ball. And so as, as golf balls are submitted for conformance, we test them under uh, certain standards uh, with, with launch and spin rates. And then wherever they end up, we just say it needs to be less than 317 yards. So we need to evaluate that 317 and determine, is that the right number? Should that number be lesser? Uh, uh, I'll preface all this by saying, you know, we don't have the answers. We don't have the solutions. Uh, This is really early in in the stage where we're just choreographing. Here's what we'd like to look at. We want to engage with the industry around these topics. We have research. We know the manufacturers have research. And in the end, we want to try and identify solutions that are are about the long-term best interest or health of the game. Um, And so, as I go through these, again, no no solutions have been reached. These are just general topics. The the next one is a modification on uh, the limitation of ball efficiency. So, um, again, it's just testing standards we have on how balls fly, the aerodynamics of balls, uh, and a review of that. Uh, Also looking at, you know, size and massing of golf balls, right? So, is there a way to – do you look at a smaller golf ball, a larger golf ball? Do you look at the density of a golf ball so that it impacts different swing speeds differently? Um, you know, a lot of different variables within a golf ball that we can look at. And then, you know, looking at drivers, uh, club length. So model local rule gets us to 46 inches, but maybe we do some further research and determine that 45 or 43 or 43 or 44, excuse me, is, is a better long-term number. So we want to look at that as well as, you know, massing size of the club head, uh, moment of inertia, right? So the forgiveness on a club face, uh, what does that do from a, a strategic standpoint? If you have a high MOI, does, is that allowing players to swing perhaps a bit more aggressively? If you change that MOI, does that change uh, uh, the need to perhaps hit a little closer to center? All things that we just need to answer as we, as we look through. Um, and then you know, last point is, is the spin, right? And looking at spin, this is a great example of both direct and indirect because you can look at spin in a lot of different manners, right? You can look at spin off the driver face, you can look at spin out of the rough, you can look at the general spin coming from the golf ball. Um, So all things we need to look at, again, some of those directly impact distance, others indirectly impact distance through either strategic choices the player might make or otherwise.
0: Yeah, and, and just for everybody listening, is your job, you know, in a way, you guys are putting together a study slash like an experiment really here where your job is to look at all the different angles of of these and the different implications that changes would make and determine make conclusions off of looking at all the different angles it's not you're not going into this saying we're going to you know limit distance
1: that's well we do know that we need to stop the cycle so so some limitation on distance is necessary but you're right in that from an equipment standard standpoint i always think of it in terms of levers right those six categories are broad. And within each six of those categories, there are a lot of things you could potentially do or, or levers you could turn. And so we just wanna do the research to understand the levers and understand if we turn this one to the right, you know, this much, what is it gonna to do to other levers, right? Cause there's always uh, uh, impacts of other things. Uh, and then if you change two levers together, you know, what would the overall uh, uh, amount of reduction that you could achieve be, right? And what are the implications of that reduction? What are the implications at uh, different swing speeds, right? So it could impact somebody at 120 much different than it impacts somebody with a club head speed of 90. Uh, Likewise, right, I think it's important that we understand the implications, um, you know, uh, in the industry and on the marketplace as well, right? It's not like you can make an equipment rule change and manufacturers can retool and shift overnight. These things sort of have a runway that you have to play out uh, and some changes might be easier than others. So there are just a lot of factors that you have to look at um, as we go through this process.
0: Yeah. And for somebody that would just, you know, obviously one rebuke would be, Oh, golf's never been better. This has been an awesome year. Why, why does this, you know, why does the cycle have to stop?
1: You know, and it, it's, it's funny, but this is a, a debate or a discussion that's been happening for decades, if not centuries around <laughs> distance. And it's something that just continues to get passed down from one generation to the next. Right. And, there's this belief that um, every generation should hit the ball further than the last that um, somehow distance equals enjoyment. Um, I'm going to I'll step back and say I agree with everything you said about the game is in a good place. Like no one should read the report or misinterpret anything we're saying for us to to be a sky is falling. The game's in a bad place. We need to come in and say the game's great. Like we, we, we rallied around as an industry last year. Um, and, and it's pretty unbelievable what we are able to accomplish. Now we need to focus on, you know, retaining those golfers that came to the game last year or the lapsed golfers that came back to the game. But I'd like to think that you can sort of chew gum and and walk at the same time, right? What we're saying is, as we look at trends, it's, it's obvious golfers hit the ball further now than they did 10 years ago, than they did 30 years ago. And if you play that trend out, it's only going to continue, so what happens when golfers continue to increase distance? Well, venues continue to increase in length where they can. With that comes capital costs, uh, uh, comes maintenance costs, comes labor costs, comes everything. Where do those costs ultimately go? They get passed down to the golfer, right? Then you also look at pace of play. You're extending the golf course, which means it's going to take longer to play. So we're looking out into the future and saying, if, golf, if, if, if hitting distance continue to increase, golf courses are going to continue to increase. That impacts all of us. And at some point it has to stop right especially when you layer on top uh you know the environmental sustainability and the cost frankly uh associated with with maintaining a golf course right now cost of water cost of labor cost of nutrients are all outpacing inflation which means it's becoming more and more expensive to maintain golf courses again that expense ultimately gets passed on to us so this is it's a matter of of do you continue the conversation do you hand do you hand off this challenge to the next generation or you try and be a bit more proactive, make some changes so that when we hand the game off to the next generation, we can ensure that we're building on the strengths of today and having a healthy game into the future.
0: And regulation is currently in place. It's not a, a question of whether we're regulating or not. It's a question of recalibrating what the regulation standards are, right?
1: That's exactly right. I mean, it's we, we have our equipment standards, we have the rules in place, and it's a it's a matter of of looking at where where should we look to potentially sort of tighten the screws a little bit so to speak
0: with the you know announcement last week you're in a place and it outlined a 12 to 18th month period um, before we hear kind of what's next what's the timeline uh, involved with that period and what should we expect what's happening behind the scenes in this period
1: So it is, it is, there's a lot of research that's ongoing with our folks uh, on our equipment standards team, as well as, you know, our counterparts at the RNA and their equipment standards team in St. Andrews. And in that, you know, uh, uh, you know, working with manufacturers, again, a lot of them have already done research on these topics, or a lot of them will initiate research on the topics and this period of this area of interest is all about the exchanging of information, right? It, it, believe it or not, there, there is a high level of collaboration that happens within the industry. A lot of people don't like to, to, or a lot of people may not take the time to understand that, but we're working with manufacturers, you know, on a daily, weekly basis, and this will really continue that. Uh, it's just, we're gonna have more specific topics around distance we're gonna wanna look at with them. Um, you know, so as far as the next 12 to 18 months, I say, you know, one of the good things about our process that we follow from an equipment rulemaking procedure is that it's transparent. We choreograph early on, here is what we're interested, here's here's potentially where we'd like to go. Uh, The bad part about it being transparent is you're putting a lot of things out there that are going to generate questions and you just don't have the answers to those questions yet, right? So as we go through the research, as we begin to look at solutions, look at the knobs, we'll have a better idea about what potential solutions might be. What Timeline uh, we might have for to implement those solutions. Uh, some could be short, some could be long term. Uh, do you use model local rules? Do you make it a, a, do you make it an overall rule change? So there's just a lot of questions we, we have to answer. Um, and, and most of that, frankly, will be done, um, you know, behind the scenes over the next, you know, 12, 12 or so months.
0: In the document, you guys uh, define this period working with golf stakeholders and a comment period for golf stakeholders. Who are golf stakeholders in, in, in for this exercise? Uh, you know, I think that was something that a lot of people wondered. Can I just write a write a comment?
1: <laughs> so, so, first of all, I mean, I would tell you that you know, the USGA is a nonprofit um, as as, and as a membership organization is the governing body we're always, you know, our our doors, our phone lines, our email boxes are always open. So people should never hesitate to reach out to us if they have questions, inquiries, suggestions. Um, you know, as we, as we look at this, we are really in a technical stage, right? And so it is the primary stakeholder is going to be the manufacturing community. Uh, and then outside of that, we also have, you know, the major tours that are a key stakeholder the the players, uh, we also have, you know, at the amateur level, you have our allied golf associations who are out there running state amateurs, you know, junior tours. So it's, it's, it's a lot of the groups that represent golf or, or subsets of golfers. And again, it's important that everybody's voice is heard, which is why we have this process we go through.
0: Yeah. And for the collaboration standpoint with manufacturers, I imagine like some of the stuff you outlined, like changing the MOI on a, on a club and seeing the impacts it have, like that's something you have to work directly with manufacturers on, right?
1: It, it is. I mean, look, our, our team, um, again, they can undertake the research, but it's a lot of validation and thought sharing that needs to happen between manufacturers and our teams. That's just, it's critical for success.
0: -hmm. And they've been uh, manufacturers have been very open with uh, collaborating on these types of things with you guys. uh,
1: Historically, yeah, they have been. It's uh, again, I think it it provides sightline into what we're thinking from an equipment standard standpoint, um, but allows for them to to share their views because I as I say, we whatever decisions are made, we need to make sure that they're fully informed, right? And so uh, we need to validate uh, the research or, or that that we're seeing. Um, but we also need to make sure that when it translates out into, you know, the marketplace or into the plane of the game, that we've thought through everything. We don't want to make any hasty decisions here.
0: With the Distance Insider report that came out last year, were there any, you know, big revelations for you personally, or uh, and also for your team? Were, were there specific things that really stuck out more than others uh, with that report?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the number one thing that stuck out is frankly, just how this does impact all of us as golfers, whether that be, uh, you know, the pace of play or the cost of, of that gets passed along to golfers. Um, but also distance, uh, it's actually much bigger than, than just uh, uh, the long hitting golfers, right? It's, it's on all sides. There's a stat that I believe it's only 8% of golf courses in the United States have a tee that's short enough for the shorter hitting players, for the shortest hitting players, right? And so distance is, there's issues on all sides. When we talk about a game that we wanna be uh, welcoming and inclusive, uh, we, we know that it can be, that there are barriers to entry. We know that it can be intimidating. Uh, I'd say it's pretty intimidating if you come out to start the game and there's not a set of tees that you can play and go out and enjoy yourself. So we're trying to take a really a holistic view of this. This is not just about equipment. I know it's where everybody wants to go. I know that you know obviously issuing the area of interest in the research topics, but there is a huge golf course component to this as well that we want to look at. And the golfer experience component, um, as to how, how can we come together with the industry, develop best practices around, you know, maintenance, setup, uh, everything else that, that welcomes golfers and allows for them to enjoy their experience.
0: One of the biggest rebuttals to any sort of, recalibration of regulation on distance and equipment is that this is just a 0.1% problem. And, and from what I'm hearing you talk about, this is not a 0.1% professional golf problem at all. It's a problem for all of golf.
1: It, it is right. And, and part of that, part of the study, you look at, um, uh, golf courses that will never host, a, a, a PGA tour level event or a professional event. They're lengthening, right? Or they're making changes to their golf course, uh, whether it be perception-based or, or reality. And and those changes, again, come with costs. Those costs get passed along to us. Uh, the trend of those changes, are, they're, they're only going to continue. And so even if you have a facility where there's a small fraction of players that play that back tees, we're all paying for those back tees. And when there's a new set of back tees that goes up, we all end up paying for those as well. Um, you know, so as we look at distance reduction, there's a huge inventory of tees in front of us. And so, so if, if there is some change in distance, uh, most of us have the ability to move up a tee and frankly have an equally as enjoyable experience while shrinking the footprint of the golf course at the same time. You know, it's, it's, um, we are the only sport that I'm aware of where we change our venue to meet the needs of equipment. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was a question I had, and I'm curious, you know, when you guys look at other sports that have confronted these issues, like, you know, most most recently we saw, you know, the Nike running shoe, which were all sudden marathon records were were falling left and right because of a shoe that could allow people to run four to five minutes faster over the course of 26 miles. And, you know, swimming had obviously the swimsuits and. Uh, you know, cycling has a lot of mechanical stuff that goes into it. race car driving. Do you guys look at other sports and how they've confronted these issues and, and the impacts that they've had before and after and, and so forth when you, when, with this study that you guys are conducting?
1: Yeah, you know, we, we have looked at other sports and, and, you know, you're right. This is innovation is not something that's unique to golf. Um, and athleticism is not something that's unique to golf either. Right. It's, um, as we think about this topic, right, there are three contributing factors to distance. You have uh, course setup, you have athleticism, uh, and, and with that there's a number of things. It's not just you know how big and strong and flexible golfers are, but it's also uh, the amount of information they have, the data they can have to really optimize their performance, and then you have equipment, right? Golf course setup, we can issue best practices as a governing body. We can work with our industry partners, but ultimately that's you know the host committee or the golf course's decision to make uh athleticism uh the desire to get sort of bigger stronger more flexible to optimize that that's fantastic right as golf fans i think we're all in awe of that i think it's the definition of athletic endeavor uh, and there's no way uh to regulate it in any sport nor should it be regulated right and so that then leads us to equipment and so the only way we have to um to monitor distance or have an impact on distance reduction is through equipment. And and even if players are the primary contributing factor, that athleticism is the primary contributing factor to current distance gains, uh, the reality is that that will continue to increase as well, right? We, we, there's a subset of golfers you look at on the, the uh, World Long Drive Tour, right, where they're able to get swing speeds up above 140, ball speeds 215. It's only a matter of time before... You have that capability on the PGA Tour. Uh, and so my point is there, there's still room for distance increase. And mm-hmm. if we see that cycle or that continued increase being a problem, the, the primary lever we have to help control it uh, is, is through equipment. And so that's what we're faced with right, right now.
0: I think something that I think about sometimes is I actually sympathize the player today in some regard because – their athletic accomplishments are sometimes muddied by is this equipment or is this athletics? Like what, what's the Rory's athleticism? You know, you know, we see Usain Bolt, he's faster than anybody ever before. And that's a simple thing. They run the same distance. They run with essentially the same equipment and you can say, this is the fastest man ever, but with golf, with, with the changing, golf course dimensions, and then also the changing equipment. It's impossible to tell how much our, you know, this modern era of player has progressed over, over the years.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to compare era to era. uh, And that's always been the case. And I think that will always continue to be the case, you know, but you talk about, um, you know, the, the players and their athleticism and their athletic endeavor and just how good they are. I mean, that's one of the benefits we also have as a game, right? We all play the same equipment. Uh, there aren't too many sports where the professional athletes going to use the same equipment as, as the amateurs. And so you and I go out and play, Uh, we might be using the same driver as, as, as a Rory or someone else. uh, And yet we can sit back and marvel at the distance they have as compared to you and I. So I think that, you know, their abilities as athletes uh, really does shine through.
0: Um, With the, With the local rule, that's something that was uh, used heavily in the announcement. Is is a local rule bifurcation by another name?
1: Yeah, it's. it's I get that question all the time. And. And and i will sort of go rules nerd on you for here yeah, for a minute. Yeah, and right?
0: explain a local rule to to the to the audience as well, because I think yeah. that'd be an important place to start and probably should have been the first question.
1: Well it was you know, so so local rules. So you have the rules of golf and you have local rules, but if we go all the way back to seventeen forty four, that first set of rules, the thirteen rules that were written, they were for a single golf course for a single tournament. So in essence it was a series of local rules. And as you look at golf uh, in the UK around that time uh, every golf course, were, they were writing their own rules, and it wasn't until um, 1899 that the RNA was sort of appointed as the governing body to write a single set of rules. Here in the U.S., we even used the RNA's rules, uh, but then we made adaptations that we called local rules on our side. In 1952, the USGA and the RNA came together, and for the first time ever, we had a single set of rules, uh, playing rules, uh, to, to be used uh, at every golf course throughout the world. That said, there's 30,000 plus golf courses. I always tell people the playing rules are tough because you have to imagine that anything that can and will happen to that little white ball and you have to write, write a rule around it. We don't have we're not football, right? We're uh, we don't have a, a standard playing field. And so writing rules can become challenging. So if you have a, a, a local golf course or you have a tour or you have a tournament that has something unique to that golf course, unique to that event they have to adapt the rules in some regards. And that's where model local rules step in. It, it's it's areas where uh, committees running a tournament or committees running a golf course have flexibility or options around rules to put into place for their golf course. Um, most people think of those in terms of the playing rules. Uh, however, there are a number of equipment related uh, local rules currently in place, right? The one ball condition, which a lot of people hear about. And that's the, you, you start around you know with a make and model of golf ball and you have to use that same make and model of golf ball throughout the entire round that's a local rule uh a lot of talk within certainly competitive circles around grooves right like your grooves have to meet a standard that was put in place in 2010 that's a local rule uh the use of conforming golf balls or drive or conforming drivers those are lists that committees put into place by local rule not necessarily always in place at the club level but certainly when you start getting into competitions and so this concept of flexibility, this concept of options have long existed. Uh, and all we're saying now is, as we look uh, at these different areas of research, as we look at changes to the balls, as we look to changes to the club, um, if we step back and we say, you know what, we can actually a- achieve some significant amount of reduction here, but that reduction might not be best for the game as a whole, right? Like maybe it impacts the low swing speeds more than we'd like it to. And so it, it's gonna have a, an impact, a greater impact on the recreational game than, than, than we'd like. Well perhaps we can put that option out as a local rule so that courses tournaments tours that might want to use that option would have it as an option. So it's it's again there's no specifics in mind um, but it's just let's explore like let's not be afraid of exploring the idea of options for the game. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah and so obviously you just outlay there's no specifics in mind and this is just an exploration but say say there was a local rule put in place How would you go about, you know, suggesting delineation between the different layers of golf? You know, where uh, is it a elite amateur? Because like you said before, distance is an issue at, you know, at everywhere, you know, a a player that hits the ball 300 yards, distance is an issue at a 6,400 yard golf course for that player. You know, they might hit it out of the range. They, you know, so what would be, you know, in, you know, in a hypothetical world, a type of way to delineate, you know, when the local rule is put in place versus not in place.
1: Yeah. And, and, look, I mean, for the equipment related local rules I, I mentioned earlier, we have a proviso in there. We say, you know, these are usually or typically recommended for uh, elite level competitions. Right. But that even that is undefined. So what does that mean? Does that mean, you know, the NCAA, your state amateurs, what about your state junior amateur? Uh, it becomes really difficult. And when you start talking local rules that could potentially have uh, an impact on distance, I think that, Andy, what you just raised there is, is probably gonna be the toughest question around implementation. Like, where do you recommend it? Where do you start? Where do you stop? And then you're gonna have those players, frankly, on the fringes that might need you know, two different sets of equipment or two different types of golf balls, whatever it might be, right? So I'm gonna play under this set of rules the state amateur this week, but then next week I'm playing in the high, you know, the high school association, my regional where that local rule is not in effect. And so it can, it it can get pretty muddy pretty quick.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I think obviously like baseball is a perfect example where you play with aluminum bats your entire life until you turn professional and then you play with wooden bats and, I don't think it's it's uh, prohibited any all time greats from not making it. You know, and if anything, it you know it just accelerated their path when they get to playing with wooden bats.
1: That's exactly right, and so it, it is. Look, there, there are there are fortunate for us, and, and you mentioned this before with other sports. There are other sports that have models out there, um, whether it be you know baseball and bats or tennis and the different balls that that we really need to consider closely and see are there models. Uh, that that might benefit the game of golf as well. Mm-hmm.
0: How's the response? How have you felt the response has been thus far, both you know uh, publicly and then uh, you know behind in back channels as your teams communicated with you know the uh, various stakeholders and had you know more private conversations.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a lot of respects, this last week has just sort of been a, a sort of it reignited some of the conversation that came out with the first distance report last year. So I'm not surprised by any of it. Um, Again, I think that people are uh, asking a lot of questions that we're just not far enough along in our process to have the answers for, and so they'll continue to be chattering. Look, it's a a discussion that's happened for a while, but it's a discussion that we think is important, Uh, and as people want to talk publicly or privately, I think think it's only going to benefit all of us. So the response has been, uh, frankly, about what we expected, Behind the scenes, I can tell you, I mean, we've already started engaging with manufacturers, already started talking around, you know, here's some of the things we've looked at. How about how about you guys? Um, And and that will continue, because like I said, that's for this to be successful, that's going to be the most critical component. So um, I'm pleased with where we are. Uh, I think that we're set up for for success. Um, It's just not going to happen overnight, which I, I know might disappoint some folks, but that's the process that we have to adhere to.
0: Yeah, uh, and I, I mean you don't want to rush to any decisions because that's the the knee jerk reactions are probably usually the worst thing. Um, I'm curious if the way golf looks today versus you know what the romanticization of the '60s or '50s or before does that have anything to do with this effort?
1: No, and that's you know a lot of people will will want to suggest that there's some error that needs to be replicated here. This is not about replicating an error. This really is about, um, uh, again, understanding where the game is today, understanding the strengths of the game, but looking out into the future and just saying, this is not sustainable, right? I mean, is it, this confluence of economic environmental pressures, uh, pressures on the golf course to lengthen safety concerns, which I know you've talked at length about. Uh, there's, there's that you know, path, and then there's this path of increased hitting distance. At some point, they're gonna converge And it's not going to be healthy for the game. And so how can we best try and keep the past parallel? That's really what this is all about. Um, Certainly, you know, you look at distance and and you can look at the game and in some aspects you can see perhaps there's now an over-reliance on distance as opposed to other forms of the game. And so that's where people want to talk about romanticizing about other eras. But it is important that uh, there be a variety of skills required to be successful in the game, right? That's part of the challenge. It's not just how far you hit it um, but it's how it, it, it's it's how you sort of deal with the pressures and challenges of the next shot uh, with which it with which comes you know the need to frankly hit more than just a few clubs in your bag I
0: I will always contend and this is just a personal and this may not be the best time to bring up this is just a personal opinion but I will always contend that the game of golf is is so intense like intoxicating and enthralling for people because at the very core, no matter how well you play, you always feel like you suck. And the challenge (laughs) of it is the the aspect of the game that is so important is that that's what makes it different than throwing darts or bowling is where this, the perfection is unattainable for players of every skill level.
1: You're, you're, you're right. I mean, look, the, the difference between good and great in our game is paper thin. Uh, and I know that you've, you've sort of been there and experienced that, right? We all have. It's the challenge of the game. And that's when you talk to golf fans and golfers, it's the challenge that comes out as the number one attribute, right? It's not I love the game because I can hit it really far. It's I love the game because it challenges me. Uh, and as you always hear people say it's that one good shot that keeps you coming back. So you hit one good shot and I'm, I'm back at the challenge again tomorrow again trying to get better knowing that perfection is is unattainable and i think that frankly as golf fans that's why when you step back and you watch you know the best players in the world you are just in awe cuz you're thinking H- how are they able to achieve that how did he just you know hit that shot where he cut up you know cut over those trees and it, like it's just it amazes you because you can put because we have the same set of playing rules because we can play the same golf courses because we play the same equipment you can put yourself in that player's shoes and realize how unbelievably difficult it is to pull off what what he or she just did. Uh,
0: I wanted to go through some of the, you know, common rebuttals for, for distance, if that's all right. And I just would love to hear your, your take on them. These are the things that, you know, I see on the internet. I I've heard players discuss um, and I'm curious how, how you would address them in general. Um, Why can't architects just alter courses? uh, to, and for the, and this is generally pointed towards the 0.1% problem.
1: Yeah. But, but again, it's not just a 0.1% problem because we're seeing major golf course renovations, you know, uh, all all across the industry. Right. And a lot of those courses are not hosting, uh, even state level events, let alone tour level events. So it's happening. And I would just say that it's been, it's been a default solution for, for years, right. It's been, well, let's just go ahead and move this bunker here or, Hey, let's, uh, you know, dude, let's create a dog leg here. Let's, and the question really becomes why, like why should golf courses have to make that type of investment in capital costs? Uh, why should they have to change, uh, potentially historic architecture uh, in some cases, just because the ball is going farther. Um, as I mentioned before, I mean, we're the only sport where the venues manipulated to uh, react to equipment, uh, as opposed, you know, to retain the venue and address equipment. So it's just thinking about it differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, in conversations, did you guys have you guys talked at all to, like, golf course owners? I feel like, in a way, they've kind of been like the silent um, party in this whole thing. Like, yeah. everybody talks about professional golf OEMs, but nobody talks about... A golf course owner and a lot of them are effectively small business owners. Yeah,
1: no, and it, it, you're, you're right to bring that up. And it goes back to that earlier question about stakeholders, right? I mean, there's the, the, the it's a big industry, big game, lots of, lots of important viewpoints. Um, so as we look at it, right, golf course owners, operators, golf course, superintendents, uh, PGA professionals. So the 29,000 members that are interacting and engaging golfers on a daily basis, Uh, we engage with all of them, right? And it's important that we do that. I I mentioned before, the fully informed, we need to have a fully informed view uh, on on what they see as the issues and what they see as potential solutions. And so, you know, outside of our equipment process, we have this, you know, the golf course, golfer experience side of things that I spoke to earlier, where we're actively engaging all those groups, right? All those audiences to understand, you know, what, what is the impact, right? If you lengthen a hole by 40 yards. What does it cost to put that tee in? What is now your annual cost to maintain that? What is that doing to labor? And if you did that over time, you know, X number of times, what is that going to do to your bottom line and how do you pass along the golfers? And so, um, it's important that we understand where, you know, as you say, the small business owners are, what their views are on things and how we can best support them as we move forward.
0: They're, they're an interesting one because they kind of have both sides of the coin where they, where they, um, you know, have the, they have to combat distance with their golf course, but they also sell equipment in their pro shop. It's, it's actually an interesting dichotomy.
1: It is, but it's, it's, uh, you know, I don't think it has to be right. One or the other. I think that there's, yeah. this, there's a the happy medium that will come from all of this, but you know, you put the, the, the mom and pop, uh, type golf course where, you know, they feel like they have to lengthen just for perception, right? It's, it's marketing as much as anything. My golf course is too short. People don't want to come play here. My driving range is too short. People don't want to come hit balls here. And so whether it's right or wrong, people are making changes to their to their courses, to their facilities uh, in, in order to to sort of address distance and what they think the customer wants from distance.
0: Yeah, and I think about it uh, a lot of times. One of my favorite places is this little public course, Aiken Golf Club. It's 5,900 yards on a good day if you got all the way back. (laughs) But one of the coolest aspects of it, you know, it's really hard. Anyway, it's not a pushover at 5,900 yards but because of, you know, just the wonderful topography and everything. But one of the coolest things is you go play there at Saturday at 8 a.m. You're done at 11 a.m. It's unbelievable how much time. You save when, when the golf course footprint's so much smaller.
1: Yeah, you save, you save time, you save, you save you know, resources, you save so many things, and it can be so much more enjoyable, right? And you look at a golf course like that, and it's probably very short walks from mm-hmm. green to tee, so you finish a hole, you move on to the next, and you put a ball in the air, and you just keep going. Uh, those are some of the more, most enjoyable experiences you can have as a golfer
0: yeah and i think obviously anybody that's more interested in the golf course aspect of this you guys just put to, you put together a, the usga green section put together a new collaborative project that was all focused on golf courses that's ex- incredibly insightful and kind of outlines a lot of the things that we've touched on in this conversation
1: yeah i mean our our green section i mean that's a, that's a group right a, a hundred years the green usga green section has been in existence and doing things on behalf of the game from whether it be turf, turf grass research to agronomic best practices. Um, but it, it is very thoughtful um, research. But that group, I mean, they're, they're hands on the pulse of the game. Uh, and they're looking, I mean, we talk about trends and understanding the future uh, and challenges the game's potentially going to face. I mean, it's that group that has their finger on the pulse. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, let's get back into some some rebuttals. And uh, Rory Baccaroy had some I had a statement this week, and I, I was curious if you could address this. Uh, he said, honestly, I think this Distance Insight report has been a huge waste of time and money because that money, thats it, that, it, its cost to do this report could have been way better distributed, getting people into the game, introducing young kids to the game, introducing minorities to the game. Um, can you go into detail on the cost of the report? And where the allocation of, of money came from, and did, did this money that was allocated take away from any Growing the Game initiatives?
1: Yeah, so, so first, let me just start by saying, you know, it, it is, um, especially when you're talking about, you know, best players in the world, I appreciate everybody has uh, opinions, and so I'll never sort of agree, disagree, it's just, uh, I'll, I'll make what I believe to be my statement, um, but look, again, Rory's entitled to his opinion. I'll just tell you that from my perspective uh, as a governing body, it's important, right? We're the objective party. So I think it's important that we have, as I said, our our sort of finger on the pulse of the game. And that's really bigger than just equipment related factors with distance. Uh, No one else is going to go through and do the comprehensive study. No one else is going to go through and draw the trend lines as it relates to distance uh, challenges facing the game with with resources, right? And and understand the correlation between the two. And so I think it's an important project that we undertook and it's something that's going to benefit the game well into the future as it relates to resources. Right. We, we can do multiple things uh, at a single time where we're able to multitask. We have a great staff. And so everything Roy just listed there totally agree with as being important. Right. I think that as an organization, we would say that those are our priorities as well. Uh, and we're able to accomplish those things all uh, while at the same time undertaking this this report on distance. So. Um, yeah, I think if we sat down, I think that uh, we would find we actually agree a lot on what the vision of a healthy game in the future looks like, and the USGA uh, is working hard to help bring that vision to life.
0: Yeah, and, and something that got glossed over with Rory's comments that I got kind of glossed over was he was asked to follow up about a potential local rule bifurcation. He said, I'd be all for that, you know? Um, yeah. So I think, I think that – you know, th- this comment was one comment and then the other comment, you know, he, I don't think he's, you know, necessarily opposed to a lot of what the study's uncovering um, in, in ways. What about the rebuttal, this will have a negative impact on growing the game?
1: Look, I think the game has always been faced with challenges. Um, again, I think primarily intimidation, right? People that are, are new to the game, they find it really intimidating and, and I'm not sure that a reduction in distance is going to change that. I think we have to look at other things, right? So um, hitting the ball far, uh, it's, it's an endeavor that a lot of people, you know, especially starting the game, you're a year or two in, I want to hit the ball as far as I can. That will always be there, right? That challenge, but, but reducing distance by some small amount, I don't think is going to take away from the enjoyment of the game. As I mentioned before, I mean, there, there's an inventory of tees in front of us that if we're concerned about uh, our distance into the green, uh, being lengthened as a result of a reduction in distance, we can move forward at T and have just an enjoyable experience tomorrow as we did today. Uh, and so, again, I, I don't view distance as being uh, the primary contributing factor to enjoyment.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, why can't we just grow log rough to penalize the long hitters?
1: Look, that, that is a golf course setup um, variable. So certainly things can be done from a strategic standpoint to try and indirectly impact distance. But I don't think that's the solution, right? It's, um, you know, potentially, are you looking at at more water, you're looking at more nutrients? Um, It's just it's something that you can't or governing bodies, we don't have control over on a universal basis. Uh, And so it's not really addressing the issue from my perspective.
0: And then uh, kind of a big picture question, Uh, you're the Senior Managing Director of Governance and I'm just curious, there's a lot of talk obviously with Mike Davis stepping down as CEO soon, will this have any impact on how Distance Insights and the work moves forward with a, a potential hiring of a new CEO? Is there anything that could impact, you know, where this project is going?
1: No, uh, so the short answer is no, right? As an organization, I think we're all uh, we all believe that uh, there is this cycle of distance that needs to be dealt with. So this is this goes far beyond Mike Davis. Now, certainly, Mike is very passionate about the topic. I know a lot of people have associated his name with this topic for years, um, but this this goes beyond Mike, right? This is organizationally, and, and that goes for the RNA as well. I think is the governing bodies, again, we step back and globally look at the game uh, and just want to make sure that it's in a healthy place, want to make sure it's in a good place uh, moving forward. And so as as Mike steps down at the end of this year, uh, the new CEO will have a new CEO in place, and and that new CEO is going to believe in the vision as well.
0: Mm -hmm. With the the CT test, I just want to back up for a second. I'm I'm trying to clean up some odds and ends here of uh, things I wanted to ask you. Um, The CT test, the how how difficult is this to administer on a regular basis i i'm curious in terms of like how long does it take what goes into it
1: um yeah i mean our, our test technicians could could tell you i mean it's not that it's not that difficult of a process right it, it, you have a pendulum with a, a golf ball on it or a weight that mimics a golf ball uh and and it also has the sensors in it and you literally just drop the pendulum onto the club face and all it, and the sensors give you the reading in, in the computer so it's not a hard process to go through. Uh, in addition to, you know, the USGA and the RNA, uh, the majority of manufacturers, if not all of them that mass produce have the pendulum so that they can test and calibrate on their end as they're developing uh, the golf club. So it's not, look, I'm a non-engineer speaking, but, uh, Mm -hmm. the, the testing itself is not, is not that difficult. Um, you know, there's testing that takes place at certain tour events throughout the year. And that's, that's able to take place in a, Trailer relatively quickly, where a player hands over his club and then gets it back not long thereafter. So it's pretty pretty straightforward.
0: Are you surprised that more testing doesn't take place with CT um, as as it regards to like you know when you compare testing that goes into auto racing, um, cycling, and different things on, on a mechanical object used to you know play a sport? At yeah, a, I mean.
1: I, I would just say that I think part of that goes back to uh, the game, right? And sort of the, the spirit and ethos of the game. Uh, we're, we're not a sport that gets followed around by a referee with a yellow flag that's just throwing them, you know, at every, every turn, right? We we apply the rules on our own. Um, certainly there are officials in place at certain events to help us out. But for the most part, uh, we're, we're out there uh, acting with integrity. And I think that that carries over into the equipment testing as well. I think more than anything, the equipment testing uh, is just done to ensure uh, manufacturing is sort of is, is manufacturing with the clubs that put in the tour players hands um are, are in line. Um, but there's, there's been nothing to signal that there's some large swath of non-conforming equipment that uh, any tournament organizer needs to be worried about. We just haven't seen it because again, as golfers, we all want to do the right thing. We want to make sure that we're playing with the right equipment, uh, conforming equipment. We want to make sure we're playing by the rules. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, thank you so much for coming on and shedding some some light on last week's announcements. I think it was really helpful and uh, I, I appreciate it. for anybody that's out there uh, looking to, you know, voice. How do they reach out? Is there an email? Is there a, a Web page that they could reach out to with their, you know, I know uh, you, with their comments and different things?
1: Yeah, the best, the best place to go is, is on the USGA's website. So it's usga.org. And if they go under the Plane tab, there'll be a Distance Insights um, um, page that they can go to. And that has um, all of the uh, documents that we've discussed today, the distance report, the area of interest. And it also includes an a email box on how to get in touch with us.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for the time, Thomas. And uh, we look forward to hopefully talking to you again as this process moves forward.
1: Andy, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.